I mean, that's really what narcissism is. It's advertising. It's human advertising. It's like an election campaign. And the narcissist is constantly, tirelessly campaigning to be elected to the office of valuable human being. Getting Discomfortable with Narcissism Okay, so full disclosure, I am a narcissist. Or I should say, I have narcissistic tendencies. Narcissism describes a strategy that I adopted as a child to try to fight the shame I felt deep inside. I don't actually consider myself a narcissist in the sense that that word sounds very shamey. It's like traps you in this identity. Oh, I'm a narcissist. That's what I am. I am forever like this. No, I don't think that's an accurate way to describe myself, nor do I think that I have narcissistic personality disorder, which apparently affects about 1% of the population at some point in their life. Even narcissistic personality disorder is not something that you have all the time forever in a fixed mindset, shame kind of way. So when I call myself a narcissist, I am signaling to you that I definitely identify with most of what being a narcissist is. However, I am not that. It is, it is not my essence. It is not my core. I am many things. Sometimes it's narcissistic and other times it's not. In fact, I think one of the most awful parts about adopting narcissism as a strategy is that it masks the fact that you are a lovely human on the inside. I was a really sweet, caring, thoughtful person. But whenever I got into narcissism mode, it made me seem like this really selfish, self-absorbed, vain, toxic, quote-unquote, person. And that's why it makes me uncomfortable when every time I go on social media, I see someone complaining about their narcissistic boss or their narcissistic parent or their narcissistic friend or their narcissistic ex-lover. Or perhaps even more popular now is the term toxic. There's so many self-help memes going around encouraging people to excommunicate all of the quote-unquote toxic people from their lives. The truth is, I think we use these labels of narcissist and toxic way too often, and they are such concrete shaming labels. Oh, this person is toxic, therefore you shouldn't be around them. Just completely cut them out. And that person's a narcissist, so they're evil and bad, and you should also just cut them out. You should excommunicate them. When in fact, I think all of us have some narcissistic tendencies, some more than others, but that doesn't mean we are deeply flawed or inherently narcissistic. And in fact, I think literally every single human on the planet will be experienced as toxic by someone else. The way someone treats you might be really unpleasant for you, and it might be less unpleasant for someone else or not unpleasant at all. And the way you treat other people might be pleasant to some and might be experienced as toxic by others. It doesn't mean you are a toxic person who should be given up on. I think a lot of this stems from the fact that we misunderstand what being narcissistic is all about. 
you know, n- narcissism is coined from the name Narcissus, who is a character from a Greek myth. Narcissus was supposedly a very beautiful man who, when drinking from a pool of water one day, saw his own reflection and was so enamored by his own beauty that he fell in love with himself. And he just stared at himself all day until he realized that he could never have himself. And so, as I recall, he eventually turns into a daffodil, which is sometimes called a narcissus. So we have this view of narcissism as self-love gone out of control, as self-obsession or, or egotism, someone who thinks they're so great, who thinks they're better than everyone else. But actually, that's not really what narcissism is. Narcissism isn't someone who thinks that they're better than everyone else. Narcissism is caused by someone who thinks that they are worse than everyone else and is doing all of this work to try to prove desperately to themselves and others that they are worthy. It's obnoxious and unpleasant, and it is self-absorbed, but it is not coming from a place of worth. So looking back at the myth of Narcissus, it's probably more accurate that Narcissus felt a deep sense of shame for some reason. This deep feeling of shame made him feel worthless and flawed and bad and different and alone. But when he looked at his reflection in the water, he said, hey, I'm attractive. I, I, I am objectively attractive. People will like me. If I'm this attractive, that means I must have worth. So he got obsessed with looking at this superficial part of himself that reassured him that he must have some value. But that reassurance never really convinced him. So similar to last week's episode about sex addiction, he was trying to meet his need for worthiness in this really superficial, temporary way by looking at himself constantly, getting a hit over and over again of the pleasantness of being attractive. That's a more accurate description of what this narcissistic self-obsession really is. It is obsessing over yourself in a superficial way, desperately looking for signs that you are worthy, that you are attractive, that you are desirable, that you, that you are successful. And anything you find, you cling on to desperately. And in areas where you don't find anything, you start to kind of make stuff up. You, you, you develop these delusions of grandeur to try to convince yourself and others that you do have value because, because you need to. It's literally a survival mechanism. Shame often makes it feel like we have some kind of innate flaw. There's something just deeply wrong with us. And shame is showing us that in order to stimulate us to hide it or to actively work against it so as to prove to people around us that we are worthy and that we should be kept in the group. Because when we were hunter-gatherers, we were in very real danger of dying if our tribe kicked us out of the group because of some kind of flaw. So it makes sense that you might develop a strategy where in order to prove that you are not innately flawed, 
you try to convince yourself and others that you are, in fact, the exact opposite, that you are innately special in some way. This might be innately attractive or innately talented, or innately brilliant, or innately artistic. There's so many different ways that we can look at shame and try to counter it with whatever value seems appropriate to us and our culture. One of the strategies I developed as a child to combat my shame in a narcissistic fashion was to convince myself that I needed to be famous and that I was worthy of being famous because I was innately talented. So I went into acting and I was an artist and I got into filmmaking and I did everything I could to try to convince myself and others that I had this innate brilliance in me, this this innate genius. And that was just to completely offset the fact that deep down inside, I really feared that I was innately bad, that I was innately different, that I was innately alone, probably stemming from the fact that I actually was different. I was gay, and I didn't know any other gay people. And it seemed like a really dirty, bad, scary, lonely thing to be. So I basically needed myself to be innately worthy. I needed that to be true. So I started to believe it because I had to. This denial and delusion associated with narcissism is a coping mechanism. It's saying, hey, don't give up. You've been given the message that you are innately flawed And so you have created the strategy that you need to be innately talented in some way, innately worthy, innately special. So you are convincing yourself and everyone else that that's true. I mean, it's misguided, it's desperate, it's illusory, but it's a fairly decent strategy for a child to come up with, especially in our culture of celebrity obsession that really does appear to elevate people and assume that they are therefore better. This person is innately attractive, or that person is innately brilliant, or this artist is innately talented. They've just got it. That's a strong message in our culture. So it's no wonder that me and many other children adopted this narcissistic sense of needing to constantly prove to ourselves and others that we were valuable. So it is a kind of a self-obsession. You're, you're constantly lifting yourself up. You're constantly looking at yourself and trying to make sure you look good, which can appear to be very vain. And you're constantly talking about yourself and thinking about yourself and your own achievements and your own successes and wins and skills. But really, you're doing all of that with a very acute awareness of what everyone else might be thinking. You're looking at yourself vainly and appreciating your looks only in relation to the fact that it means other people should also think you're attractive. And you're, you're focusing on this one win that you've had and talking about it nonstop only because you want everyone to know about it and appreciate it. If you go way back to the very beginning of this podcast, my very first episode on vanity 
pretty much discusses the same topic. I admit to being vain and realize that it's not really because I love looking at myself. It's me looking at myself saying, what are other people seeing? Are they liking what they're seeing? Well, I look pretty good right now, so I must look pretty good to others, which must mean I have some value in the world, doesn't it? But the problem is, this deep sense of shame that was inside of me and that is inside of many people isn't actually healed or assuaged for very long by these temporary hits of worthiness based on achievement or physical appearance or whatever you cling on to (laughs) in your narcissistic strategy to prove that you are a worthy human being. Shame and narcissism really kind of pressure us to focus on what other people are thinking about us. But that is not a very deep and meaningful strategy to come to terms with the internal belief that we are unworthy. That is some much deeper work that I think has to happen between you and you. And shame's emphasis on approval and superficial attraction or success or notoriety doesn't really fix it. That's not actually the work. So it's no wonder that this narcissistic strategy, which is kind of like a constant and endless PR blitz for yourself, needs to be constant and endless because it's like just a tiny hit of worthiness. And you're like, if I can just keep giving myself these tiny temporary hits of worthiness, it will finally add up to something one day. But it doesn't. It actually just annoys other people and alienates you even further because you're spending so much time trying to defend your own worthiness because it feels like you need to for your very survival, like that's what shame was designed for. But we live in this world now where we don't constantly need to be defending our worth. It doesn't actually help us survive. We live in a society that basically takes care of our survival. So it's just this really tragic, misguided ideology that causes people, really good, normal people, to focus so much on lifting up their own worth that they don't have any time or energy or bandwidth left to actually look at other people and say, hey, how are are you? We're constantly looking at other people in order to see whether or not they value us. But we're not really looking at them in their own right and saying, well, A, do I even value you? And B, how do I value you? You know, like, how do I honor you and connect with you and appreciate you and empathize with you and help you? How do I nurture this relationship instead of constantly looking at it as a sort of barometer of my self-worth? So it's really sad, actually. And it's interesting, you know, because I am, let's say, a recovering narcissist, it's still really hard for me to empathize with other narcissists. It's, it's like triggering for me because I'm trying so hard to work against my narcissistic tendencies. And so I guess I'm being really hard on myself. I'm still in like a really reactionary phase to my own narcissism. 
such that when I see someone else enacting the same strategy, it drives me nuts because it reminds me of the thing in myself that I really dislike. And that kind of harkens back to the episode I did about annoying people. It goes to show that those things that really annoy us are more about us than they are about the people who we think really annoy us. So when I meet someone else who seems to be going on and on about how great they are, instead of being like, oh, wow, this person is really trying to shore up their worth as a human being. Maybe I can help them. No, instead of looking at it with empathy and compassion, it reminds me of the thing I still dislike in myself. And it creates this real kind of rejection of that person, just like I'm trying to reject my narcissistic side. And just by saying this, it's clear to me that I have a lot of work to do in terms of just accepting my narcissism. That might sound crazy, but to me, acceptance is the place from which healthy change actually grows. So the sooner I can just accept that I'm a narcissist, or, you know, no, I'm not a narcissist, but accept that I have this kind of default pattern around narcissism, then I can start to work with that. I can start to look at it more like a chronic condition, which is how I look at shame and how I look at my childhood conditioning. And of course, narcissism is both. So I have an opportunity to just give myself a lot of self-compassion around this issue and try to shore up a lot of self-awareness about it so that I can see my narcissism as it's happening and say, oh, well, look at my ego just trying to give me some worth in this moment. Of course, I know that it's not the best strategy because it's temporary and it's really self-focused and other people find it annoying and it doesn't really connect me with other people, which is a much better solution for actually feeling worthy when I feel like, oh, I'm connected with these people and they value me and I value them and we have a thing going. We got a little something. We got an us. That actually makes me feel worthy in a much more profound way than when I use that person as a kind of advertising opportunity. Hey, you should think of me as a worthy and successful human being. I mean, that's really what narcissism is. It's advertising. It's human advertising. It's like an election campaign. And the narcissist is constantly, tirelessly campaigning to be elected to the office of valuable human being. And I know, I know it's deeply annoying because we're not just trying to get elected to the office of normal human being or equal human being. No, narcissism really creates that illusory hierarchy. So we're trying to prove not that we're the same, but that we're better. So it's, it's really quite twisted that like we go around saying to other people, trying to subtly communicate to them, hey, I want you to think that I am better than you. In fact, I kind of need you to believe that. And, and I need myself to believe it too, because I think there's only one alternative, and that is that I am worse. Narcissism and shame doesn't recognize the logic of, hey, can't we all just be equal? Can't we all just be the same? And it makes sense because, you know, shame creates this feeling of different, bad, and alone. You, you really do feel lesser. That's what, that's what shame wants you to feel. It's trying to compel you to deal with that feeling of lesserness by either trying to hide it or compensate for it. 
because shame thinks that is the strategy that will keep you in the group, that will keep you alive. But in this modern world, where survival is all but guaranteed, we have an opportunity to use a new logic that says, we're the same, we're equal. And those moments where I feel lesser are just an illusion. So it makes sense that if we are constantly feeling lesser because of shame, that it seems like the solution should be to be better, that that's a real thing. And that just inherently creates this whole fictional hierarchy of human value, which we are constantly trying to climb up or constantly using narcissism to try to create the illusion that we are already at the top, that we are already the best. But when you recognize that we live in a modern world where our survival is all but guaranteed and that the rejection even of our closest family members isn't going to lead to our death, we have an opportunity to lean into the logic of equality instead. I feel lesser, but it's an illusion. I'm actually equal. How do I know I'm equal? Because everyone feels lesser sometimes, because everyone has shame. Feeling lesser is what makes me equal. One of my favorite thinkers, Alfred Adler, a psychologist from the 20th century, a contemporary of Freud and Jung, I've talked about him before, he has the concept of the inferiority complex, which is basically narcissism. And Alfred Adler points out that there is no superiority complex. There, there is no person who genuinely believes that they are better. Feeling better, feeling superior, is always a reaction to secretly worrying that we are, in fact, worse, inferior. So there is no superiority complex. The inferiority complex is the superiority complex which is exactly the same as narcissism. We think that narcissism is this person, this egotistical person, who thinks they're the best, but really they think they're the worst on some level. When we perceive someone as egotistical, it's probably the same thing. It's also possible that we are sometimes projecting our own inferiority complex on others. That's another thing that can happen. And I think the reason that there is no superiority complex that there aren't really people who genuinely, deeply believe that they are better than others. Because when you get to that that coveted level of self-esteem, you realize that you're not better. Like, that's what the evolution is. You go from feeling worse to pretending that you are better to realizing that you're just equal. You know, I'm not talking about equality in terms of money or height or attractiveness I just mean equality in terms of value. You know, this concept of status that some people can be inherently higher up or upper class or better and some real fundamental level, more worthy or valuable. I'm saying that I don't think that is true, that there are no such people. How can I know for sure? I don't know. I can't. There'd have to be some kind of ranking system that I don't know about or some kind of God who's given us all a number. But even then, I might disagree. The point is just that if you really believe it, if you can really convince yourself of the logic that all humans are equal, suddenly you find yourself on this very solid ground where you can't go up or down. You don't even have to think about worthiness anymore. 
You just are worthy because you're a human who's alive, just like all the other humans who are alive are also worthy. And to really believe this, you have to be able to see when you're feeling shame and recognize that its messages aren't true. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling worthless right now. I'm feeling small and lesser and bad. But it's not true. It's just shame. It's just a feeling that is tricking me in order to stimulate strategies it thinks will keep me alive, based on the assumption that we live in a tribe of 150 people for our whole life, which we don't. Well, most of us. So learning to understand and manage shame is a really powerful way for you to deal with your own narcissistic tendencies if you have some. But dealing with someone else who is displaying a lot of narcissistic tendencies, well, that's a lot harder. Because built right into narcissism is denial. And shame itself has denial built right into it. Shame does not want people to broadcast that they are feeling shame. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Shame is all about, did I do something, or am I something, or did I experience something that makes me different, bad, and alone? And while we're thinking about that, we don't want to communicate to everyone, hey, I might have done something, or I might be something, or I might have experienced something that makes me different than the rest of you and bad. So shame has this, like, natural innate tendency towards denial. It's, I think, the most common reaction to shame. But of course, there's no way to prove it because when you're in denial, you don't realize you're in denial. So it's hard to talk to a narcissist or someone who is displaying narcissistic tendencies about those narcissistic tendencies because they will immediately have to deny it to themselves as well. Their whole constant strategy is about making themselves look like a quote-unquote good person. And so if you come to them with something that says, hey, you're being not such a good person, they immediately have to deny that. That's just like built right into their shame and narcissistic strategy. And they're probably going to attack you. They're going to assume that you are trying to bring them down, that you are trying to lower them on the hierarchy as they have often tried to lower others in order to raise yourself up. That's one of the most insidious backsides of narcissism. It isn't just about raising yourself up by constantly tooting your own horn. You also, in very subtle and, you know, admittedly unconscious ways, you belittle others. You hold them down. You hold them back. You do this because it seems to keep you higher up on the fictional hierarchy. Once again, it's you going around saying, hey, I need to be better than all of the rest of you. It's so crazy to walk around thinking, as I did for many years, that my worth was based on the opinions of all these other people over whom I felt I needed to be better. How can my judges be considered lesser than me? It's such tortured and twisted logic. It gives your power away to all these other people, all these other people who you think you need to be better than. How are you supposed to be better than all these other people when they have all the power? It's so awful. So what do we do? I think shame education is the key. That's what it was for me. First, I went to therapy. 
And I went to therapy because my ex-boyfriend pointed out that I had some behaviors that were really unpleasant. But he didn't give up on me. And I think this is important. He acknowledged that there was still a lot of great things about me. But there was this shadow side that was really problematic. And he wanted to stay with me. But he wanted me to figure out what that was all about. And I was really reluctant, but I thought back to some other relationships where people had also said that I had this really critical, perfectionistic shadow side. But those people had always told me about it in a really dismissive kind of like, I'm done with you way. In this sort of cancel culture, I will not have toxic people in my life type of vibe. And that never got through to me. I was like, oh, this person's just bitter or jealous or angry, like whatever. I don't trust them. It's when someone comes to you and says, I love you. I want to be with you. I'm not giving up on you. But there are some things that need to change. That's when you really start to listen because there's no ulterior motive there. It's like, oh, well, this person's not bitter. This person's not jealous. This person loves me. This person wants to be with me. This person wants the best for me and for us. So it's just like, okay, I guess I do need to do that. That's why I think it's so important not to just shame people as a narcissist or as toxic and then just cancel them and excommunicate them from your life because they're quote-unquote bad for you in some way. There was a reason that we were attracted to these people in the first place. There is something redeemable there. And when you can approach someone and say, you know, I love the side of you that I love that drew me to you, but there is this other side that's unacceptable. And I'm not giving up on you, but I'm not going to let this behavior continue either. And so I encourage you to go to therapy and to learn as much as you can about shame because I think it's going to help you be the great person that you are underneath this strategy that isn't helping you and is hurting me. That's the utility of setting a good boundary. You get to say, this is unacceptable, this specific behavior. But it doesn't mean that you, the person who did this specific behavior, is unacceptable. And you might have to set an even stronger boundary than that. Maybe your boundary is, I can't be around you until you figure this out. But from there, to be honest, it is up to the person who is caught in narcissism to go on their own journey and figure this stuff out. That's not something we can force them to do or that we can do for them. But if they really do commit to understanding their shame and understanding how shame works in general, I think they're going to discover, like I did, that their strategy isn't necessary. And underneath that strategy, there is an awesome person who actually does care about other people. It's just that that care has been secondary to what seemed like really important life-saving work of lifting themselves up to the top of a hierarchy and pushing others down in order to ensure that they had some kind of powerful antidote to the shrieking, horrible void of shame at their core. And the good news is that as you work on your shame, even though that narcissistic pattern is habituated in you from childhood, like an addiction, like a chronic condition, 
you don't need to use that strategy as much when you aren't attacked by those feelings of unworthiness as much as you used to be. So your defense against unworthiness remains narcissistic and the same. But because you're doing that internal work of finding self-love and self-compassion, you don't need to turn to that strategy as much to deal with those moments which will become less powerful and less common where you feel lesser, different, bad, and alone.